to be challenged by it, to be exhorted by it, to be encouraged by it, that we might see you for who you are and respond rightly to you even now. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there are defining moments in history. In world history, there are defining moments. Even if, if we were to look at maybe the last 120 years, you could point to 1903 when the Wright brothers, they were the first ones who conducted controlled, man-powered flight. Or even getting even closer, perhaps some of you even remember this, 1963, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Or 1968, the assassination of Martin Luther King. Or, I sure hope he's in here, uh, at least the second person, Al Gore and Butch Corson inventing the internet. <laughs> or perhaps September 11th. I know I remember coming down the elevator, walking out into the lobby of my dorm. And normally a place that's filled with talking and bustling around I come out and I walk out and I see people gathered around the big screen TV in the lobby of my dorm. And you could hear a pen drop. Stone cold silence as college students are watching the news, hearing about planes flying into buildings. You perhaps can even think right now of the very place you were when you first heard about that. But then there's also things in your personal history that you remember significant times and where you were. Like for me, the first time I almost got a hole in one on a par three course. Or I was in a world geography class and a voice came over the intercom saying, can you please send Josh to the office with his bags packed? And I knew something was wrong. And I get the news that my grandfather had died. Or the first time I got in a fender bender when I was learning to drive. Or being at Kirby Woods Baptist Church when I made a profession in Christ to deny myself and follow him no matter where he would take me. Or the May 28, 2005, when I saw my bride walk down the aisle. Or the birth of my children. Or the first time I met my two adopted children. There are defining moments in every single one of our lives that we remember for years to come. These moments, they change the way that we think and the way that we view the world. These moments can even change the trajectory of our lives, the things that we pursue, the things that we love. And so today, we're going to see a defining moment in the lives of the disciples. So with that in mind, let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we had, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in the white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we're going to see today in this passage, in these 11 verses, we're going to see the foundation for mission in verses 1 through 3. We're going to see how the disciples were equipped for mission in verses 4 and 5. We're going to see the disciples being sent on mission in verses 6 through 8. And then that the disciples are to remain on mission in verses 9 through 11. So let's consider now the foundation for mission. Verse 1 even begins with, in the first book, O Theophilus. Right? That's the, this is talking about the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the writer of both the Gospel of Luke, as well as the book of Acts. And he writes the Gospel of Luke to give Theophilus certainty about what he's been taught, about what he's heard about Christ. And then going on in verse 1, says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had been given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke writes about the the, the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the appearance of Christ, all in his gospel. And, and so that was volume one. Now we're here to volume two, the continuation of the work of Christ that we'll see is in the disciples through the work of the Spirit. And so what does he say next? He says, verse three, he, that is Christ, presented himself alive. He presented himself alive to them after his many or after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. So Jesus is with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection, but before he ascends to the Father. And he says, he, 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 Luke tells us he's presented himself like, hey, here's, Jesus is saying, here I am. I want there to be no mistake. I want you to see that I am alive. My life did not end on the cross, it did not end in the grave, but I'm alive. I want the world to know. And in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, verses 5 through 8, Paul even tells us how Christ appeared many times, proving himself, showing that he was alive. It says, he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So Christ was deliberate. It was intentional that after his resurrection, before ascending to be with the Father, he presented himself over and over and over. He wanted to make sure everyone knew, I am alive, the grave has not held me. And so the resurrection is essential for our faith. 
It's only because of the resurrection that we actually have a mission that you and I are tasked with, that the disciples are tasked with. And Paul, going on later in 1 Corinthians 15, even says that. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. What we're doing this very moment is in vain. And your faith is in vain if Christ has not been raised. So the resurrection is essential to our faith. It's essential to everything that we do in life. Which is why in the new members' interviews, if you've ever uh, been through one of those, one of the questions that's asked of you is, if you had two minutes to share the gospel with somebody, what would you tell them? Right? And I don't actually, I don't actually start my watch and time people, you got, and I don't cut them off at two minutes. But I'm attentively listening. The elders are listening. What are they going to share? What do they think are the essentials to the faith? And I'm listening for four main things. One is, who is God? What do they understand about him? Do they know that he is the eternal, never created, holy, perfect, righteous God who is also loving? And in his love, he created man. So I'm listening, who is God? And now, who is man? That is, that he was created, man was created by God in the image of God. Created to be in relationship with God. But yet we sought our own way. You and I still continue to this day to pursue our own ways. Sinning against God. Deserving eternal separation from him. But God, being rich in mercy, sent Christ, the perfect, holy son of God, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross. And pretty much, you know, every interview I'm going through, I'm hearing these things. I'm, I'm hearing that, and I'm tracking with them. Yes, good, awesome, you got that. Very nice. So you've told me about God, you've told me about man, you've told me about Christ. And then sometimes they move on to, then I would ask somebody, do you want to follow Christ? So God, man, Christ response, right? And all of that is right, all of that is good. But there's something missing. I wonder if you've even picked up on it already. Christ did die. But he doesn't remain dead. He has been raised from the grave. So we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship the risen one. The one who has given his life for us, but yet the grave could not hold him. And he conquered sin and death through his resurrection. And so the resurrection is essential for our faith. The resur resurrection is essential for for our mission, sharing Christ with the world. So the foundation of our mission is the resurrection. And now let's see in verses 4 through 5 that the disciples are equipped for mission. In verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So God's not done. Christ is not done with the disciples, right? The, the mission of Christ here on earth was to continue on even though Christ would leave the earth. Even though he would be ascending to the Father, the mission doesn't end because Christ has ascended. Christ is saying, disciples, my mission will be continued. It's going to go on. 
He's going to equip them for the work that's ahead of them. The disciples were to wait there in Jerusalem until they received this promise of the Father. You can even read more about that if you want to from uh, Joel chapter 2, where the Spirit is promised to be poured out on the people of God. Or even the promises of Christ from Luke 24, 49. So God has promised. The Father has promised, I will equip you. I will give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to give us himself. And so the disciples, they were to wait for this. But while they're waiting, what are they doing? Right? While they're to be in Jerusalem waiting for the Spirit, what are they doing? I think, uh, I think Luke 24, verses 50 to 53 are especially helpful, as well as Acts chapter 1, 13 and 14. So listen now to Luke 24. And he led them out as far, that is Christ, and Christ led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So what do they do in Luke? Well, Christ ascended and then they are in Jerusalem continually in the temple blessing God, worshipping God. And then Acts chapter 1, 13 and 14 tells us that the disciples were meeting in the upper room. And what were they doing? They were devoting themselves to prayer. And so while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, what is it they do? They're gathering with God's people to worship God, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. John Piper, I think, is especially helpful when he says, Now all the prayer and great joy and blessing of God is evidence of God's power. These are things that do not happen without the work of God's power. And I include, sorry, let me back up just a second. Therefore, I conclude that what Jesus is telling them to wait for is special power, something more than the ordinary experience. More than the ordinary experience of power that makes a person a Christian. What Jesus wants to teach us in these verses is mainly this. Special power is essential for an expanding witness to Christ. So these verses are, are teaching us that this power that they're to, supposed to wait for, this spirit, this indwelling, this baptizing of the spirit, is different than the indwelling of the spirit that every Christian gets when they place faith in Christ. He's talking about this special anointing of the spirit to empower the disciples to share the gospel. And we all like to be equipped for every task we have. When you get a new job. You want there to be a good onboarding process. You want to know what things, what, what, what are the objectives, what are the goals of my next project. Or you want to have the right tools and software to get the job done. Or if you're a student and you've got a midterm coming up, you want the professor through the lectures and the assigned readings to equip you to, that you're ready to take that test, the task that's in front of you. Or if you're a parent, I really wish there was something like this. I, 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 don't be super spiritual with me here, okay? Like, I know the Bible equips us for parenting in so many ways, but I also wish there were actual, like, a manual that upon birth of your child, the doctor gives you as you walk out of the room. Like, here's a manual for parenting. So then I just open up, right, day one. Day one, all right? Uh, 
When my baby's crying, give him or her to my wife. She will feed the baby. I will be happy to change those diapers. Uh, continuing on in day one, let your wife sleep as much as she can. Serve your bride. Get any food she wants. And then day 1,144 of parenting, you can open it up in the manuals there. I would love that. That'd be really nice. But it's not how that happens, right? But God says that he will equip his people. He's equipping his disciples. He's equipping us. But I often hear, um, I've, I've heard adults say it a number of times, but um, I most often hear, it, hear youth and college students say it, well, I, I don't know how to share my, my faith. Or I don't know what to say. Or what if I can't answer somebody's questions? And I think these are all legitimate things to be concerned about, right? We want to know Christ. We want to know the word. We want to be equipped to do those things well. So I think those are all legitimate concerns. They're all reasons why we feel like, like we may not be equipped. But you know what I've never heard? I've never heard someone say, well, I invited my, my neighbor over to my house for a meal, and I just felt like the Spirit had not equipped me. Or I've never heard somebody say, I was sitting in the coffee shop and just for some reason felt like I should be sharing the gospel with this person or trying to share the gospel with this person. That I'm not equipped by the Spirit. And so I wonder if sometimes we are too concerned or maybe we're trying to share the gospel in our own power. Yes, you want to seek God. You want to know his word. Be equipped with it to, to, to share it. But at the same time, are we relying on ourselves too much? Are we too concerned with what we have to say, that our words might be eloquent, that we have every argument down to, to exactly what we want to say? No, seek God. Know his word. Ask God to give you the, the opportunities to share Christ and trust and ask even, in fact, in fact, ask the Spirit to be with you. That morning, ask God to give you an opportunity at work to share the gospel. Ask him to give his spirit to you in abundance that when you share it, that somebody would hear the word and that their lives would be changed. And so are we actively pursuing Christ? Are we desiring the spirit? Is it even a priority for us? The Spirit especially equips His people for His mission. So let's trust Him. Let's seek Him, that He might empower us to share the gospel, that He might empower others for their eyes to be open when we share the gospel. So we see in verses 1 through 3 that Christ's resurrection is the foundation for mission. We see in verses 4 through 5 that the disciples are equipped for mission. But then in verses 6 through 8, we are going to see that the disciples are sent on mission. Look at verse 6 with me. So then they had come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So the disciples, they, they're asking, they're wanting this fulfillment or what they think is this fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that Israel that the nation of Israel would be reestablished, that Jesus would be 
reigning on his throne, the throne of David. And look at verses 7 and 8, how Jesus answers them. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's saying, you're, you're not to worry about when I will finally and fully bring my kingdom. Right? You're asking the wrong questions, Jesus is essentially saying to them. Don't be concerned with when. I want you to ask, to think about, to consider how I will bring about my kingdom. So how will this kingdom come if Jesus leaves? He's not telling them when, but how. He says, you will be my witnesses. So God is bringing his kingdom, accomplishing his mission, not through Christ remaining here, which you know he's ascended. He's accomplishing his mission through his peoples, those who are witnessing about him. So how does Christ do it? It's through the disciples proclaiming Christ in the power of the Spirit. And that's what we see even this verse, uh, verse 8. It's kind of like this mini table of contents for the whole book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7, we see the gospel going out through, uh, throughout Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12, we see the gospel going to Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 through 28, the gospel going to the ends of the earth. Which is why you and I are even here this morning. The disciples telling people about Jesus and the power of the Spirit, proclaiming him everywhere they went. So Christian, this is the mission that you and I are given today too. We are called as disciples of Christ to be witnessing, to be testifying about the work of Christ. The disciples were looking for a political kingdom. That's what we see even in that word restore in verse 7. They're wanting to, to, to be brought back to this national prominence. Jesus is telling them, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not the intent of, of raising Israel up then. They weren't supposed to be raised up to have a government that's going to bring or, or solve the solution of Christ's mission. Our government doesn't solve that issue either. The mission Jesus sends his disciples on, it's one of gospel proclamation that's empowered by the Spirit of God working in his people, sharing the gospel, bringing the dead to life. And so we need the Spirit of God if we're to accomplish his mission. Because without the illuminating power of the Spirit, the, the mission will fail. Your job is not to save someone. Let me say it again. Your job on this mission is not to save anyone. Your job on this mission, it's not to bring dead people to life. Your job on this mission is to make Christ known. Your job is to be faithful in declaring Christ, presenting him in his perfections, in his death and in his resurrection, that then we trust also this same illuminating power that saved us will also bring the dead to life. So the Spirit must work mightily in us. We must declare the glories of Christ and his forgiveness 
calling people to repent and turn from sin. And that as we tell people about Christ, that the Spirit would work in us and help us to rejoice in and tell others about the shackles of sin that we've been removed from and that they too can have this promise of life and freedom from sin. And so notice, notice where the disciples don't have to share the gospel. Right? I feel like sometimes maybe uh, we live life perhaps maybe like the game of Monopoly where you're, you're wanting that get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Where sometimes maybe as a Christian, you may not think this, but maybe you operate like, I'm looking for that get-out-of-mission-free card. Right? Let's look and see where the disciples don't have to declare the gospel. Verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So where are they exempt from sharing the gospel? Nowhere. They are to go about their daily life everywhere they go with the hope of the gospel, sharing Christ. Well, you might be thinking, well, what about, what about Peter, right? He was the apostle to the Jews. And what about Paul? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, uh, I think, in fact, they actually were talking about Christ everywhere they went. But maybe their primary calling to, was to one or the other. You may have a primary calling to your family or in your workplace or in your school or in your neighborhood. But we ought to be walking daily with Christ, walking in the Spirit, and be ready to share the hope of the gospel that we have. And so every, every city that Paul went, right, actually, he would go where? To the synagogue first, talking about Christ. So even though he's primarily the apostle to the Gentiles, he was first going to the synagogue to share the gospel with the Jews. And so we are sent on mission. We are to make disciples in all places. And I wish that the news would even help us out with this, but they won't, right? So much of what you hear about is things going on in school, the school system where it seems like the school system is turning its back on Christ. And in fact, I think it's done it a long time ago. But also what doesn't get news is what I've been shared with by Sean about things going on at Woodgrove High School where students and teachers are meeting before school and the gospel's going out. Or students who gather with groups in FCA throughout our county. Even at Blue Ridge Middle School this past week, 22 students and teachers gathered. And it wasn't teachers leading the Bible study. It was students, middle schoolers, one of our own, teaching uh, his, his fellow peers about Christ. Teachers and students gathering, two of our teachers here, gathering on Thursday mornings at Hamilton Elementary School before school starts to pray for their students, to pray for their teachers, to pray for their administration. This is our mission. You stay-at-home moms in your homes with the other moms on your street or the people that you see in the grocery store. Or if you're at work, being on mission at work. Yes, working as unto the Lord diligently and doing everything that you can with excellence, but also sharing opening your mouth about Christ. Or for those of you who are retired, that's not when you get your get-out-of-mission-free card. In fact, maybe God has 
freed you from the workplace, that you might then continue sharing the gospel faithfully in your neighborhoods, maybe even more than you previously had, maybe even going on more mission trips than you previously had time to do. Every single moment of our life is meant to make much of Jesus. So while most of us in this room have placed faith in Christ and been given this mission, how many of us remain on this mission? How many of us are on the fishing boat, fishing for men, making disciples as we are headed towards the golden shores of salvation? But then I also wonder, how many of us are simply on a cruise ship, happy and distracted by the pleasures of life while we're headed, headed for those same golden shores, but forgetting to fish for men all along the way? So let's look at verses 9 through 11, where the disciples are told to remain on mission. And when he had seen these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So I, I just get this mental picture of the disciples, kind of like a child who just let go of a helium balloon, watching the balloon escape into the sky, and even after it's gone long out of sight, wondering, I wonder if that balloon's going to come back. Where will it come back? When will it come back? Will I see it? I just kind of get this mental picture that these two angels that then speak to the disciples saying, hey, you've seen him go, but quit gazing. Get ready for the work that's ahead of you. Quit wondering when will your Savior come back because in fact he will come back. Verse 10 and 11, it, it, these Two angelic messengers, they even say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. So essentially they're saying, what are you doing? Don't you know that Christ, he will return? The mission is at hand, so you need to get ready. Be ready to share the gospel. Get ready to share Christ, because the disciples, they're not yet to go out on mission, right? They were told to wait right now, but they were to wait for this promised spirit. But now that the spirit has come, at least for them, it's, it's yet to come. It's coming in chapter two. But now, as we speak, the spirit has come. And after the spirit comes to them, they're released to share Christ. They're to remain on mission the rest of their life. We're to remain on mission the rest of our lives. So I wonder if there's things that prevent us from remaining on mission. One of them could be fear. Fear because we want to be liked, we want to fit in. It could be a fear of not knowing what to say or, or, or fear that God maybe won't save someone. So why even stick my neck out anyways? Why, why risk being rejected? So I wonder how many of us are choosing to live weak and powerless lives because we live in fear. 
How many of us are living like we don't have the spirit of God living within us and also he wants to empower us to share the gospel? I wonder if one of the other things that prevents us from remaining on mission is idleness. Kind of this this, uh, thinking, although I don't think we would actually, we, we would never voice this, I don't think, but sometimes maybe we're prone to idleness because we think, well, I'm a Christian. My spouse is a believer. My kids know Christ. And so we're not actively thinking about other people who don't know him. Or maybe another thing that prevents us from remaining on mission is distraction. And even just as I'm preparing this week, thinking about this, what is it that prevents me from consistently sharing the gospel? I wonder if maybe we live distracted lives. Where our lives are so busy that maybe it, it prevents us from thinking about other people. And we're so busy constantly thinking about, I've got to get this done, I've got to get that done, so our, our interactions might be limited to what can I get from someone to accomplish what I want to get done, instead of thinking about their eternal destiny, thinking about their spiritual condition. So I want to ask you guys some of the similar questions I asked myself this week. When's the last time you share the gospel with someone? Maybe, I wonder, have, have some people here maybe even never shared their faith with someone? When's the last time you even took a step towards sharing the gospel? When's the last time you had some sort of a spiritual conversation with somebody? See, too many of us were living in fear. Fear that we might be thought of as weird, which let me just tell you, we're weird, right? We're not like the rest of the world. We believe in somebody who died and has been raised from the grave. That automatically in itself sets you up to be different from the rest of the world. So just embrace who you are, a Christ follower. Let that fear be done away with knowing that our Savior has been raised from the grave and conquered it. And too many of us live in idleness, content that those few around us believe in Christ while the world is lost and dying. And too many of us live busy, distracting lives to even consider the spiritual state of those around us. And so church... The resurrection is our foundation for mission. The Father has equipped us for mission with the Holy Spirit, and we're sent out on mission. And so let's remain on mission. Let's continue proclaiming the good news of Christ until he returns. Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for this task that often often we are not quite as excited. We are not, maybe, I'm just being really honest, maybe we're not excited about sharing Christ with the world for different reasons. Because we're afraid of being made fun of, the consequences of our talking about Jesus. Maybe we're distracted, maybe we're idle in our love for Christ. Would you work in us a greater affection for you? Because I trust that as we delight in Christ more and more each day, we will be more prone to talking about him than our favorite football teams 
will be more ready to talk about Christ than the good thing that just happened yesterday. And so would you work that in us, Hamilton Baptist Church, that we would be quick to speak of Jesus, our wonderful, slain, and risen Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we join in.